it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, don't you think? Did you really just say that? I really did. Okay. I really did. That's all right. But it's officially December, and you know what that means. We have two guests today, and we will talk to our first one, Gregory Williams Welch, who's going to be starring as C.S. Lewis at the Westport Playhouse. And then around minute 18, Rick Schuler, starring in A John Denver Christmas at the Pageant. Around minute 45, Lynn has a new book, Ageless Glamour Girls. And then around minute 52, we'll talk movies, starting with Dream Scenario. Around minute 54, The Boy and the Heron. Around minute 59, Waitress. Around one hour and two minutes, Maestro. And then the Theater Roundup at one hour and four minutes. Well, I have been out to the Westport Playhouse because, you know, going to KTRS and it's festively decorated and the Playhouse is welcoming Gregory Williams Welsh to perform uh, uh, as C.S. Lewis, Christmas with C.S. Lewis. And interesting enough, Gregory is from St. Louis and his first job was as a paper boy in Brentwood. Oh, yeah, yeah. I grew well. I actually grew up in Rock Hill, but I was uh, had a paper stand with a buddy uh, in Brentwood, and then I graduated to the real world and flipped burgers at Carl's Drive-in over there on Manchester Road. So so small, Carl's Drive-in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's great. You know, those mugs of root beer bring the people in. You know. Oh, I know, and they're still frosty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, despite. Manchester Road having all this construction, you still can, they're still well, open. Well, I haven't been in there since I was over at the that uh, the meat shop there picking up some stuff a year or so ago when I did a preview of C.S. Lewis at my sister Shelley's house. But uh, I haven't been over there in forever. I went to uh, St. Mary Magdalene Brentwood, which is right at the corner of Brentwood Boulevard in, in Manchester there. That, you know, we went to grade school there. Great on, fish fries. Yeah. And then uh, and a great school picnic, too. And uh, then on to St. Louis U High. <laughs> so, Carl, he's part of the St. Louis U High. Um, he was in Brian oh, the Bozo's mafia. class. Yeah. Yeah. The Junior Billiken Mafia. That's uh... <laughs> So what brought you to C.S. Lewis? Well, um, <clears throat> several years back, uh, like 19, uh, 2018, um, I had... I'd been up to New York and I'd been working uh, at various extended periods with a, uh, at the Tom Todorov uh, Conservatory up there. Uh, and so I had come back from there um, and was kind of chomping at the bit to get back out on stage. I had been writing and, and, and working in film, directing, uh, did a documentary on Hank Cochran, the songwriter, and then a Civil War uh, narrative film. And I wanted to get back into acting. So I did the conservatory and I came back and I just happened to see on Facebook, one of the beauties of Facebook, um, an ad for an audition for J.R.R. Tolkien. And so I sent in my stuff and I auditioned uh, for David Payne, who was actually the writer of Christmas with C.S. Lewis. And he had written another show called Lewis and Tolkien, which was kind of a fictionalized version of their last meeting. They had had a falling out. They'd been great friends, had a falling out. Lewis had a heart attack. So they, Tolkien was kind of freaked out that he might've lost him. So they get back together. Anyway, I was cast as Tolkien and started touring with David doing Tolkien. And then as we got to know each other and he became more comfortable and 
and realized I could, uh, you know, I had the chops, I guess you could say. Uh, he's in his 80s now and is beginning to pull back. And he he has another show called An Evening with C.S. Lewis, which is a generic version. It's not really, a, the you know, this is, you know, has some Christmas stuff. There's two of them. Well, C.S. Lewis was a no noted theologian, so it makes oh, sense yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah, no, he's uh, definitely a Christian apologist, a great philosopher. Uh, you know, well, that's, he that's what made he and Tolkien such good buddies because they would uh, respectfully argue about religion. Oh yes, and actually, the the falling out they had as friends was over. You know, it got uh, later in life. Lewis married uh, an American woman from New York, Joy Gresham, who had been divorced, and Tolkien. Uh, was a yeah was a very very devout Catholic and they, and they had problems with that and that's that's kind of what precipitated them precipitated excuse me them falling out and there's a line in the shows where it's like, it's like they didn't destroy the friendship but you know they they just kind of went on the road named apathy where they just kind of quit communicating and then the health scare brought them back together but uh, yeah they would they were of course part of the Inklings and Tolkien. There's a great line where uh, they would redo each other their works in progress. And Tolkien really didn't like Narnia or the screw tape letters. And and he read a lot. Uh, Lewis actually had Tolkien. He says he read to me the entire manuscript of Lord of the Rings as it was being written. Oh, long wow. Before it was published. Yeah, they, they would meet there. Uh, it's just closed last year, which and it's hundreds of years of the Eagle and Child pub in Oxford, which the, they called, their group called the Bird and Baby. And the Inklings, of course, were C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis's brother, Warney, who was also an author, Owen Barclay, uh, Charles Williams, Hugo Dyson. These were all authors and professors from Cambridge and Oxford. And they would meet on a weekly, sometimes, you know, twice a week, once a week, drink, drink pints, smoke, and and talk philosophy, review each other. And then somebody would come in with a new chapter. They'd read it. They'd talk about it. And that's the Inklings. And they got together. And they that's how Lewis and Tolkien became very good friends through that. And and were great friends um, up until the end, you know. They well, met in about 1927, 1927, 28. Um, so, yeah, that was... And anyway, I got Tolkien and then... Uh, you know, they said, oh, we'd love you to do Evening with C.S. Lewis, you know, because David's getting a lot of bookings. We can't handle them all. And he also still he basically lives in Britain, so he's not going to come over to do one or two shows. So I would jump in and do that. And then he's since uh, written Churchill and he, he and, and I've also started doing Churchill, too. Like I said, I did up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, October 7th. I did a couple of those shows. So that's how I got into it. And I've just kind of dove in once I started doing Tolkien and then and then this Lewis one man shows. I just started diving in and researching and and and, you know, trying to to get into the uh, to the whole milieu of the Inklings and and, and their proper British accent. Oh, of course. Yes. I mean, you have to know it's it's and that's I'm kind of a linguist. I, I speak fluent Spanish and German and I can get by in Polish and French and so the dialects actually come um, come a little easier to me, I think. So yeah, but you have to it has you have to nail the British accent because it'll pull people out if if you all of a sudden say laugh. 
instead of laugh. What's what's the most uh, uh, surprising thing about this show that you do? What what do people come away with and go? Well, I didn't know that. Uh, what do you think? Oh, it was funny. I, I I just came from Sacramento, and I happened to see uh, after the show uh, some of the audience coming out, and it was very interesting. One man, it was wonderful, a young guy came up to me and said, I just want to thank you. I've been in such a funk, and this was such a lift, such a, I mean, it's very emotional. It can be very funny. It's very sad. He talks about his wife dying, but he said, I just needed that. And then other people said, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, the impact that he was in World War One, you know, and Tolkien was too. He was seriously wounded in World War One. A lot of people didn't realize, you know, kind of heard they were friends, but didn't realize the depth of the friendship between Tolkien and Lewis and how instrumental they were in, in each other's works in their own way. You know, because Tolkien, he was creating languages and writing the mythology of Lord of the Rings. Uh, he was like very into ninth century Icelandic sagas, and that inspired him to create his own cycle of myth and legend. And he was writing that, but just as a hobby. And it was Lewis that said, Tollers, they called him Tollers. Tollers, who should publish this? You know, so he published it. Uh, you know, he said, well, no, nobody, oh, Jack, nobody's going to want to read this. Of course, the entire world wanted yeah. to read it eventually. But he did. Uh, he published it. So Hobbit and Lord of the Rings might have never happened had Lewis not and he had to continually poke him because it took him 12 years to write the Lord of the Rings. And he would set it aside. And Jack Lewis would say, uh, Jack, is he never liked his name, C.S., because it's Clive Staples. So when he was like four <laughs> or five years old, he he told his parents, I don't like that name. From now on, I'm Jack. And and he was known <laughs> as Jack the rest of his life. But anyway, and, so yeah, without man. Jack Lewis, Tolkien might never have written them. And Tolkien was very critical of Narnia and screw tape letters and stuff, which kind of often made Lewis put his stuff aside and then and get distance from it and, and work rework it. You know, I don't think Tol Tolkien ever began to like the works, but that kind of blunt criticism, you know, it helps a writer. So that, you know, they were very influence, influential. And I don't think people realized the depth and breadth of their friendship or the falling out, you know? I mean, I didn't realize that, number one, that Tolkien was such a devout Catholic. Uh, I come from a Catholic family, of course. I mean, nine kids, St. Louis Catholic, right? <laughs> and you went to a Jesuit high school. Yeah, St. Louis, exactly. St. Louis U High. And honestly, uh, the Jesuits, uh, I to this day, I mean, I went to Mizzou after that. And I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever, worked as hard at Mizzou or anywhere as I did at St. Louis High. The Jesuits are the teaching order, and that is not a rumor. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, of course, they had a wonderful theater teacher at St. Louis High uh, who also taught calculus, but Joe Schulte, who was a brilliant man. He was actually, at one point, offered Yale drama, but he didn't want to move the family and, and stuff. I mean, he was brilliant. And he really is, even as freshmen, sophomore, juniors in high school, taught us professional act, you know, what you needed to do to, to really make this. He used to scream at us, you know, they're paying $2 for this show and tonight you gave them 75 cents. You know, <laughs> and really work us. And 
So now that, yeah, St. Louis U High, and then after that, Mizzou, where I, of course, also worked in theater, and the rest is history. I ran a theater in Nashville for a while called the Actors Playhouse, a small equity waiver theater there, about 90 seats, and I've just been doing it. My older sister, Kathy, got me into it when I was a kid. I did shows in grade school at Narings when you because they needed kids you know my yeah. older sister king and i and and then she was a theater major at st louis university she's since gotten gotten out of the theater bit but uh she was doing emily as as uh in our town you know thornton wilder show and nobody wanted to do the little brother wally because he's in one one scene at the beginning and then only in the cemetery scene at the end she said oh my little brother will do it so I would get up in eighth grade and go, sorry, guys, I got to go do a show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been such a delight to talk to you. Were you ever in the, I know the guys at SLU uh, would go to the girl girls' schools to be in musicals. Were you ever in one when you were in high school? No, we never did. But uh, we we, we uh, partnered with them. We partnered with, uh, with Narings and with Ursuline. Uh, at different times. So, you know, we did a uh, funny thing happened on the forum. I think that was with Narinx. Oklahoma was with Narinx. And then there were other ones. Uh, Little Me, I think, was with Ursuline. So we would we would partner with them uh, at times. Well, since you're going to be here for 10 days, uh, what are you looking forward to doing in St. Louis? Well, actually, um, you know, I've got the media tomorrow in the morning. Uh, tonight, actually, uh, Julie from over at the Playhouse, there's a, an interesting movie that I with Anthony Hopkins and I forget the young British actor over at the High Point. I think Matthew it is. Good. Matthew yeah, Matthew Good. Good. That was it. And Julie said, hey, anybody want to go to this? So me and my sister Shelly, uh, was the mayor, you know, you said he lives over on Del Mar. We're going to we're going to probably have dinner and go to that. And then uh, I might end up uh, then I've got some things Thursday morning early downtown uh ksdk and some other places so just to hang with them and then you know then i start performing thursday friday but it'll be nice just um you know in the day maybe have lunch i've got some other old friends here hang, hang out during the day you know and and just just be in st louis and then you know i'll be it's dark next monday so i'll probably just you know spend the day with the sister and brother-in-law and my you know i've got a niece uh uh, uh you know a niece shelly's daughter and my sister Ginny who lives in Nashville, her son now lives here in St. Louis, Brogan. So, you know, we'll just spend spend time together, you know, and 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 just hang out in the old hometown, you know. Sometimes I just, it's been so long. Sometimes I like to, uh, to just jump on the, uh, one time I just, I hadn't been here at the, at the rail. I just jumped on the, on the new subway system. Oh, the Metrolink. Yeah, the Metrolink and, and just uh, go um, drive all around the city, you know, and see what it's changed. I mean, Nashville has been changing forever. So, you know, and, and St. Louis has too. So it's kind of nice to uh, to be out and see that, you know. Yeah, well, it'll be it'll be great to see you at the Playhouse. I know so many people are excited about going to this. It's going to be at the Westport Playhouse December 7th through the 17th. Well, and by the way, I just like to uh, we've never met personally, but uh, Rick Schuler, just uh, uh, as an aside, my brother in law, Mike Muldoon, uh, his brother, Jackie, was John Denver's Learjet pilot 
our Learjet mechanic and, and kept him all together. And Mike Muldoon's a singer songwriter actually recorded and knew John and knew all the, uh, all the people that, uh, you know, the producers, uh, you know, of, of John Denver stuff. So we have a kind of a little connection with, uh, the Denver people too, you know, Pete Hung, Hutlinger, rest his soul, toured with John back on, you know, in any way. I just thought it was kind of funny that he was right after me. Anyway, <laughs> you can cut all that out if you don't, if you don't. No, no, we're keeping yet, it all in. Yeah. It's, it's the westportplayhouse.com. Yeah. And you have to put the, or the, the westportplayhouse.com. Yeah, it's funny enough if, uh, sadly, it, John got in that little experimental plane and he didn't call Jackie and they didn't do a proper check on it. And the second fuel tank wasn't full. And that's why he, he, he was killed. You know, I don't want to end on that note, but that was Jackie always kind of was like, why didn't he call me? It was just so sad. Anyway, thank you so much for your time. I, I don't mean to keep you Rick. Nice to meet you at least virtually. <laughs> and nice to well, meet you, Greg. Yeah. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Well, thank you and have a wonderful time here in St. Louis. And uh, I, I'm sure people will be enjoying it. And, and I want to hear your opinion of Freud's last session because oh, been, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much. We'll talk. We'll see you later. Thanks, Greg. Bye bye. Rick, last Hi. time I saw you was at the Blues hockey game. Oh, my gosh. That was a hoot. You and people, people are like he's. He looks like John Denver. He's playing John Denver songs, and he sounds great. You sounded fantastic when you did that. Well, thank you so much, brother. I had a blast. So I, I grew up in St. Louis. When I was in college, and well, when I was in high school, actually, uh, John Denver and in college, John Denver came out with Rocky uh, Mountain High, High. and uh, that album in the dorm my freshman year. Everybody had that album, and. John Denver came to Mississippi River Festival several times and he I, I went to Illinois State and he came and performed at Illinois State and everybody always talked about how nice and genuine he was and he gave such a good show so uh did you ever get to see him live before he passed? Oh yeah. Oh I saw him live every time he came to St. Louis which is where I grew up. Um <clears throat> I saw him live and and there's just, uh, I mean, there's a million stories I could tell you, you know, but um, but I've gotten to know very closely his manager and his manager's wife that managed John his whole life. And Hal Thaw has a whole room dedicated to John with all the gold and platinum albums and all this really lovely pictures of John and memorabilia. And <clears throat> it's quite a fun story. And I, and I, um, my mom and I sat front row. Uh, I was probably 25 or less feet away from John, um, probably in 19, I think it was 1977 or 78, maybe 76. I, I, but I, I actually, I've seen him several times. Pro I can't even count, maybe six to eight times. And um, it was it was wonderful. I mean, I just, oh my gosh, John, John's music is so lovely. It is. And I, I was listening to you perform it uh, and it's uncanny. It, and I know you get that all the time, but it really is <laughs> uncanny. I sent clips to Carl. I was like, oh my God. I, but I've seen I've seen Rick live. 
So, I'll, Rick, that would have been around the uh, Oh God era, 1977. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because um, at the age of 13, I had to wear glasses and people were telling me that I looked like John and I didn't know who he was. Um, and uh, it was kind of a story because I got the Rocky Mountain High album like y'all did. And when I listened to it, um, I was fascinated that this guy sounded a lot like me uh with with our timbre of voice um our texture is a little different mine's softer but uh so i feel like i'm adding something you know but john's john himself personally uh my friends who i mean i have just tons of friends in aspen through my friends robin lexi potamkin who introduced me to hal and dorothy uh, john's manager and everybody around him and i i have to say one of the most lovely human beings ever i think is john denver well, I know a lot of my friends got married to Annie's song. Oh, that yeah. That was a big one from going up and down, you know, going to the aisle. And also, well, sunshine on my shoulder. And uh, I'm just, what's what's nice is that his music has lasted. Oh, yes. And yeah, uh, yeah. how long have you been, how long have you been performing as, as John? Well, I, I don't actually perform as John, but I, I have been performing John's music since probably, well, you know, the interesting thing is I taught myself to play the guitar at 13 to the song Sunshine on My Shoulders. I watched it on the television show called Sunshine that was made for TV and John wrote the song, but he didn't perform any of the songs. So it wasn't till later that I actually heard John um, and his music, but I, <clears throat> I was inspired so much by that movie that I taught myself to play the guitar to sing and 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 to play well to play uh, guitar and sing and uh, i started doing shows um in 2010 um it was just something i was out of work in la at the time temporarily in between contracts and i thought you know i want to do this music thing you know and i i i you know i, I can sing john's songs so much better than even my own songs because they're so much a part of my life and my family and uh and and so I started doing shows around the end of 2010, and I met all my friends, including Hal and Dorothy, in 2011 in the summer, and uh, and Aspen's become like a second home to me, and uh, it's and it's fun because these songs are are um, I in fact Greg I can't wait to meet Greg and and also um, David Payne who did the C.S. Lewis show. Sorry, I'm in the middle of something. And uh, so that was, I'm in, in a hotel, I'm living on the road. So um, <laughs> that's but, hilarious. Uh, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> but um, so uh, I always, uh, I, I quote C.S. Lewis a lot in my shows and uh, I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. And I find that the longing for love, the longing for home and the longing for God through nature, John's hit songs hit all those themes in spades. By the way, the heater just went on, <laughs> and I'm right next to it. So, but uh, well, we long can't story we short, can't hear it. Don't worry. Okay. Well, long story short is, um, or maybe keeps getting longer, is that uh, the the shows have been just magical. I started singing these songs, and really, it's it's funny because it's whether it's a thousand people or a few hundred, it's almost like uh, when I was singing in my family's living room for my cousins and my family in Louisiana or anywhere else, really. And uh, it really kind of grew very, uh, everything kind of came to me. And, and I love the definition of luck that says preparation meets opportunity. So you're prepared for what you're tasked to do. 
And then God presents the opportunity to actually do it. That's kind of how I would describe it. Have you played at the pageant before? Yeah, we did a show. We sold out a show there last year. And my promoter yes. and, and team wanted to, to do two of them this year. And uh, <clears throat> it's it's really far out because uh, growing up here, um, it's uh, it's like coming home, really. And uh, all my, my childhood memories are here. In fact, uh, it, there, there's just so many... Um, so many lovely memories I have of St. Louis and, and, and really with John's music. I mean, in high school, <clears throat> um, I used to be a chicken cook at Six Flags over Mid-America. Oh, uh, wow. I was, six, I was 16 years old and I was cooking chicken. And uh, they called me down to the office and said, hey, Schuler, we want to talk to you. And I thought, oh, no, maybe they found out. A, maybe they, they, they some somebody fried a bird and uh, maybe they wanted to uh, <laughs> ask me who did it, you know, because I'm very truthful. And uh, and they said, no, we just want you to we just want you to hold a guitar and say far out. And this was 1976. And so I found out that the guitar was a uh, D45 Martin, probably one of the best guitars I've ever played on. And so I said, hey, man, do you mind if I sing a song? And they said, well, it's no talent night. What? Why not? And huh. so I sang for the first time in front of 2000 kids. And they gave me a standing ovation. Wow. Wow. First time, 16 years old. I, I, I knew how to play Rocky Mountain High and several songs of John's. I taught myself. And uh, but the whole story is very organic. You know, um, now I have a promoter and a manager and booking agent, all the rest. But, you know, uh, it's it's really a <clears throat> it's really a lovely show. Um, it's a lot of fun. A lot of surprises. Um, I talk a lot little bit about the archaeology that i'm involved in in israel and uh a lot of cool stuff i found a pair of pickaxes about this big actually bigger than your screen probably and um they're over 20 but they're at least 2000 years old and maybe close to 24 or 2500 years old in a you game. need to not carry those with you those need to be somewhere <laughs> safe <laughs> yeah i've got them in my backpack right <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I was struck by when Julie was telling me about you, I was struck by the fact that you are an archaeologist. So tell us a little bit. So uh, when you left St. Louis and uh, did you go to high school here? Because if you were 16. Yeah. Yeah. I went to well, I grew up. Uh, I went to Rowe School for for uh, for uh, um, for regular school before high school. And then I went to Southwest High School. And then uh, I graduated at Eureka. I only went to Eureka High School one semester. And then I went to Merrimack Community College and then to Wash U. And then uh, <clears throat> I, uh, uh, gosh, I forgot the rest of your question. <laughs> oh, the archaeology. Oh, all of those St. Louis landmarks. Oh, yeah. And some, yeah. And some of them still exist. There. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny is that uh, I moved out of St. Louis in 94 to California and became a surfer. I'd always dreamed of doing that. And my surfboard's on my car every day. But uh, I be I got involved in archaeology in 2002 on the ground floor of the first dig at Qumran at the plateau. We dug for five dig seasons there over 10 years. And we moved in. Sorry, I'm busy. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> the cleaning people That's want hilarious. to come That's I know, okay. living on the road, baby. It's fun. And um, so uh, I met Dr. Price and Dr. Gutfeld and, and Yaakov Kalman and Yusuf Ta'amr, all these wonderful 
uh, archaeologists from all over the world. And um, <clears throat> in 2002, and then in 2017, we discovered the first Dead Sea Scroll cave found in 60 years, folks. We made the cover wow. of Time magazine with a little scroll about this big that we found. And also we, uh, we, uh, uh, we dug for five caves on the cliffs of Qumran. And I learned to read, write, and speak in Hebrew. I write songs in it. I meditate in it. I'm a Christian. I'm not Jewish, but I, I'm, I was inspired by a wine jug that we found about, well, it's bigger than screen, but it was, it was about uh, 12 to 15 inches high and about uh, eight inches wide and with hand, with handles and a lid sealed for over 2000 years. And the Bedouin comes over to me and he goes, come over here and smell, lifts the lid and have me smell it. And I could smell a sweet residue from this wine and I was so inspired that I wanted to study and read, to read, write, and speak in ancient Hebrew. And uh, so I, I, I spend, I mean, I do that throughout the day, all, even in the night, I, they wake me, these Psalms from Psalm 118 and some of the other Psalms wake me up in, in, the, in, in these verses of Hebrew come into my mind. It's amazing. And John's music is a part of all of this because everywhere I go, I bring my guitar and I'll tell you, man, I make friends. The Arabs come out. When I bring out my guitar, the Palestinians can dance and sing and, you know, kids and old folks. It's just it's just magical, really. Well, it's, and, it's so, and a lot of songs are those. Yes. A lot of those songs are call and response. Like, thank God I'm a country boy. You can even if you don't know the words, you can still stomp and clap along. Oh, yeah. Grandma's feather bed and. I mean, it's kind of fun because uh, many people are so familiar with John because of the television specials, the movies, um, also just listening to him on the radio. And uh, it's fascinating because a lot of people, when I ask people how many grew up on the radio, I'm surprised at the responses because a lot of people have forgotten about the radio, you know. And it's interesting is that uh, the radio is is a big deal still. And uh, and I, I'm just excited to uh, look forward to uh, this show on Sunday because it's like a coming home, as I mentioned. Yes. Well, I've, I've had a question about the Christmas show. Do you do any of the songs with any Muppets? <laughs> yeah, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite television specials is the Muppets and Muppets. And, and there's a, a scene where John is in bed with the Muppets uh, with the uh, grandma's feather bed, which is my favorite. He's wearing a stocking cap and Miss Piggy and everybody's around him, you know. Um, yeah, the Christmas songs um, are in there. There's Christmas for Cowboys. We have, um, you know, the traditional Christmas songs as well. I'll be home for Christmas, you know, silver bells, jingle bells, um, away in a manger, I'm trying to remember all of them. But you don't um, have Gonzo coming out to help you sing the 12 days of Christmas. Oh, man. You know, it's funny because uh, I had imagined in my mind uh, having Miss Piggy and I having a conversation, you know, um, I, I would love to. Quite frankly, um, I've met so many people uh, connected to John, even in the television specials, the guys that produce them. Um, many, many singers and musicians that, that played with John, some of them play with me. Um, but I, I've always wanted to do some kind of thing with the Muppets because it would be fun, you know, um, and to flirt with Miss Piggy, of course. <laughs> but Disney won't let you have that happen unless you pay them. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, um, if they want to pay me, I'd be totally, uh, open to it. <laughs> 
Well, Carl plays Country Roads every home game at the St. Louis Blues, and now yes, they put that the was lyrics. My fault. Now they put the blues. Oh, that's awesome. and the, yeah, now they put the lyrics on the jumbotron, so everybody sings along. I've never um, been there know, without a huge sing along for that. Well, you know that song is so popular around the world. You know, um, when I'm in Germany, uh, I my last name is Schuler, so that means student in German, and the Germans get a kick out of me. They know I'm mixed with something else, but they're not quite sure. You know, I've got Indian and French and other things in there, but but it's interesting along with German. But uh, they're very popular, the song Country Roads, particularly in Germany. And by the way, the number one song in China is Country Roads. Well, there's there's, sing uh, it in English. there's a Studio Ghibli uh, feature that Country Roads takes place. I mean, that's like the main theme of that, that movie. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's yeah. Japanese. Oh, yeah. The Jap- when, when John was alive, in Japan, when he would go there, you couldn't hear John. They would all sing the songs in mm-hmm. English. I mean, and it's amazing. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, John's international um, uh, uh, interest is is over the top. But we just did a little tour in Nova Scotia, and it was very well received there. And the people, in fact, two teenage daughters brought their father to the show because oh. they 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 wanted to see you know my show and we became friends and these young gals i mean it really inspires me the young people that love this music you know and a lot of them don't know john's name per se but they know the songs and uh they love them because they're real and they're rooted well and have you ever gone to west virginia their toll booths i have yes oh man i did a show last christmas I think it was the last uh, show of our tour last year. And when I sang Country Roads, they and I had them sing it. I usually give the audience Mm -hmm. a a chorus and listen to them. The hair on my arm stood up. It was so lovely. And, you know, the promoter, the local promoter that we were working with, uh, he told me, he said, you know, he said they sing it. All over. I mean, that's that their song, you know. Yes. Well, what's it's, uh, it's on their toll booths as you enter the state. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's is so really? interesting? Yeah. What's so interesting about John Denver is uh, he is responsible for two state songs. That was a trivia question I had one night because I played competitive trivia, and they said, "What singer has two uh, state songs?" And it's John Denver. It's uh, because of Colorado. And right. West Virginia. Yeah, you know, I mean, those two songs, quite frankly, are, I mean, it's interesting. John used to say that he sang from his heart, which I do also. Uh, that's really the only thing that really I do that's similar to John in the sense um, I, I sing from my heart. And John did too. And his writing of those particular two songs, I mean, quite frankly, there's there's so many amazing songs. They're They're like... Each one of them are like landmarks of their own, really. But but those two songs in particular, especially Rocky Mountain High, which probably is my all-time favorite song, but I have too many of them, um, <laughs> you know. But uh, but those, those la- I mean, there's nothing more, I mean, that spells Americana and the very best of our values and of our country and of our culture in America than John Denver and his music. 
I think. Well, from from the heart is the name. Whisper of the Heart is the Studio Ghibli film that repurposes "Take Me Home, Country Roads," which wow. is the official title of the song. You should you should see it because the first time I saw it, I said, "Are they doing country?" Because they're all in there. Because my daughter will not let me watch the uh, dubs; we have to watch subs. So I'm like, "They're singing country roads," and they were. They were singing country roads, and I was reading along. And I'm like, "Wow, they repurposed this." perfectly and that was in back in 1995 wow i mean you know it's interesting is that um you know they're they're remaking some some movies i know they did that with some other songs some rock songs um john denver if he were alive today he would be the biggest thing since sliced bread because his music uh is timeless i mean those songs are just timeless i mean i i feel like every time I get to sing, um, I, I feel like I'm singing it afresh, really. Right. And that's kind of the way actually John talked about that, where he felt that, you know, he approached his music with with great respect. He had a lot of respect for his hit songs, particularly. And um, in, in many ways, a lot of artists wind up competing with their new stuff against their, you know, their hits. But John's hits are very different. They're they're so um they're they're, they they speak of these great longings of the soul as c.s lewis calls them transtemporal longings um and uh quite frankly it they're just they're just timeless so you've mentioned all the songs all all these christmas songs do you still throw in any song or oh you bet oh man i couldn't get out of the I couldn't get out of a venue. One time I did, believe it or not, I actually forgot Country Roads in one concert. And uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe I forgot it. You know, nobody called it out during the encore, um, right. you know, because I was doing the other hits. And uh, and when I went back and somebody said to me, you didn't do Country Roads. I'm like, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> and But Annie's song, I mean... Annie's song, it's funny, there's some songs, I mean, I can't believe I forgot that. I somehow must have miscopied it. Um, this was a while back. Um, but what's interesting to me is that of all the songs, John said that Annie's song is quite frankly his most loved song, probably, of all the songs. And I had an experience that I usually share with the audience uh, when I was performing in Aspen that uh, some friends had invited me, close friends of John Denver and his manager and his wife. Uh, And uh, when I got there to this place, it had been raining. When I pulled out, grabbed my guitars and I'm walking out, I could, the the clouds disappeared and I could see the stars and this piney smell filled up my senses. And I'm like, oh "Oh my goodness, you fill up my senses like a night in a forest. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it just brought it home, you know, how... Uh, rooted these songs are in the senses and in nature and really in in our longings well it's amazing to me that uh in 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 the how i grew up and you too um that a guy in a guitar can still hold the power of an audience you don't need the flash you don't need the big choreographic numbers a guy in a guitar is magical you know what? That is a very 
apropos statement, quite frankly, um, I can stand in front of an audience of a thousand or more. And quite frankly, you can hear a pin drop in the room. And it's not because of me. C.S. Lewis said, how do you communicate without manipulation? But Greg would love this. You get shoulder to shoulder with someone. Hey, man, this is what I see. Do you see this too? And so John did that early in his career. And I've been doing that because of C.S. Lewis. And quite frankly, um, people have their longings and their, their nostalgia. A lot of people close their eyes and they go somewhere else. And John used to tell them, hey, go wherever the music takes you. And that's what they do. And those songs, many of those songs, even some that John didn't write, like the song Today, Today While the Blossoms Still Cling to the Vine. Do you know that song? Mm -hmm. I'll taste right. your strawberries. I'll drink your sweet. I mean, the, these those songs are were instant classics. And people attach their memories to them. And really, um, I have memories, sense memories of, you know, hearing country roads um, on the transistor radio with, in, you know, my mom's living room with my family, you know, as, as a kid, neighbors, dogs, you know. I mean, there, there's just... It's so beautiful that you can't even describe it, really, almost. It is. It's very, it's, it's a, a, nor, a tongue-tied, but near spiritual, too. Oh, so. very deeply so. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's funny because it's not merely sentimental. John was, was uh, I, this is a quote. He said that the song Sunshine on My Shoulders is not a mere pastoral escapism, you know, that it really is a very deep and meaningful song. He wrote that song for a woman dying of cancer and, uh, uh, and, and for her little girl. And the idea is if I had a day that I could give you, I'd give to you a day just like today. Isn't that lovely? Mm -hmm. It is. It is. And it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And I, and I'm so glad to know that you, you grew up here because I don't think I think I missed that. <laughs> so, so it was good. Oh. It's, it's, it's interesting. We have two uh, very accomplished performers on the show today, and they're both rooted in St. Louis. Well, uh, you know, I tell you, I can't wait to meet Greg. Um, C.S. Lewis is like I, I make a joke to my friends that my show is a crypto C.S. Lewis show because <laughs> I quote him often um, because he's such an inspiration. And I see a connection, ironically, between C.S. Lewis John Denver and the Dead Sea Scrolls, believe it or not, because all of those folks and, and the scrolls talk about the longing for the for home, God, and through nature. And uh and and really John, John's music, uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I I can't tell you how much fun I'm having, y'all. And how much I'm looking forward to these these two shows. Well, this is great. Well, so we want to let people know the pageant, thepageant.com. And uh, have a swell time in St. Louis and best of luck on the road. And uh, I can't <laughs> wait to hear more of uh, your architectural, um, not architect, archaeology, uh, your adventures. You should oh, write my a book. goodness. Yeah, you should write a book. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I have a book. I've got several books in my heart that I want to write. Um, I've, you know, all my experiences. And really, John's music uh, and his his heart and and the things that he's did he's done uh, are such a big part of my my life in archaeology and the music industry. There's so many things that it's connected to, and it's such a great honor to be here with y'all. And thank you so much for having me on your show and come to the show. You're welcome.
It's Sunday, December 10th. The show's at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because it is a Sunday. And you can get tickets at thepageant.com. Rick, thank you for being on with us today. Yes, oh my thank gosh, you. Thank you so kindly. Great to meet y'all. Well, thank you. It makes me want to go. Uh, I do have the CD to this, the Rocky Mountain Christmas makes me want to go put it on right after <laughs> and work today. So thank you. Thank y'all so much. Have a wonderful day. So Lynn, I need to ask you something. You have been teasing for a while that you have a book coming out. And then you went on the radio and talked about it. And it's with somebody I know very well. What's going on with you? I do have a book out today. I can say I'm a published author and it's very exciting. I'm one of 12 women who contributed to a woman's anthology book called Ageless Glamour Girls, Reflections on Aging. We are all over 50. And Marquita Curtis Haynes, uh, she grew up in East St. Louis and she went into news and I worked with her at Suburban Journals and uh, she went on to KMOX, you know, now KMOV. And she also uh, went to New York, CBS News. And she's quite an accomplished woman. And she's been doing this thing called Ageless Cafe because she was like, after she turned 50, like, hey, we have something to say, we're important, and why do people ignore us? And so she got together, she decided to do this book, and she asked me if I wanted to contribute a chapter. And I said, sure, what do you want me to write about? And she goes, whatever you want. And since grief has consumed uh, my life the last four or five years with uh, the loss of my son, Tim, my brother, Matt, and my uncle, Charlie, um, I thought, well, this is my personal experience for through grief and maybe people could identify with it and res, resonate with people because grief is one of those things we tend not to talk about and we think people should be over it. And the pandemic, I think, uh, because of the isolation kind of uh, magnified isolation and dealing with things. And so that's what I wrote about. I wrote about grief and I had to have it in the summer and, uh, I tinkered, 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 and it took me to a really dark place, and it was hard, but it's done now, and I have uh, 12 other ladies. We're going to be on a Zoom call uh, tonight with with the world, and we're going to talk about our experiences. Not everybody's chapter is as maybe serious as mine. Um, My friend Lisa Bedian, who's a longtime broadcaster, she talks about your second and third chapters. Like if you want to switch careers when you're 60, go ahead. Go ahead if you're 70. If you haven't done something that you want to do, now's the time to do it. And then there's a lady who just uh, retired from teaching and moved to Florida. Just like, I'm moving to Florida. And uh, there's one who uh, talks about being a grandma. There's an 87-year-old woman who talks about her life. And then there's a, a, a tragedy. Well, surviving adversity, a woman who was abused by her uncle talks about healing um, and, um, you know, toxic relationships in her family and how she had to navigate that. So it is on Amazon and it is uh, out uh, December 20, I mean, December 5th, which is today. Today. And and, um, I'm excited. 
Congratulations, published author. Thank you. Thank you. Just one chapter was so hard. I can't even imagine. I think this is good to just, uh, you know, not have an entire book, but just start it. But I will tell you that it's humbling when you get your chapter back from the editor and uh, you thought it was pretty good. And there's a sea of red. A sea <laughs> of red. <laughs> and it was like, oh, dear. And then I read it and and then I read the clean edit and I thought she's really made this better. She tightened it up. She Isn't just, that the idea? Isn't that what an editor editor is supposed to do? I know, but nowadays good editors are hard to come by. And uh as you can tell in all of media, <laughs> editors are really valued. And it's always good to have somebody else, but it's really good to be part of this women's group because when we've all been on Zoom calls with the publisher getting ready for this, because it takes a village, it's herding cats. And oh my goodness, uh, these women are a hoot. And they're all going to be wearing bright red lipstick tonight in honor of, of our queen. And we got our shirts on and we're going to be bold, brilliant, and beautiful. Well, congratulations. I'm happy that I I know some of these women as well. Yeah, do you know Lisa? I know Lisa very well. I am because uh, Lisa was at Channel 5 when I started. Ah, I thought you might know Lisa. There's women from all over the country. And Marquita, she and I, this is hilarious story. I have a picture of us. It was like 1980, I want to say. And we were in a celebrity game and I, a basketball game for charity. And I use that term loosely celebrity yeah. because, and I actually like uh, dribbled down court, which I can't even believe I did in front of people, but we had, yeah. like, oh my God. But Jane Kennedy, uh, she used to be on CBS, the, yeah. the football show. Uh, they had her come for it. So Marquita and I would kid about how we're, we were going to be looking like Russian athletes next to her, <laughs> but she didn't play. She just, she just uh, was like an honorary coach or something, but we got to meet her and uh, a Marquita and I actually dressed and we're on the bench and everything. And <laughs> I'm just so embarrassed by, we still have a, we have a photo of that. So that was my first and last celebrity basketball game. I I remember doing those. Sometimes they were fun, and sometimes some people took it way too seriously. Oh, I know. I know. And I would just be like, you know, people are asking autographs. I go, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. You know? <laughs> so, Lynn, did you see any other films this week? I did. And uh, What comes well, out? Because I didn't. Well, Dream Scenario, I think you should see. I think it's Ah, gonna Nicolas Cage. I think it's going to be one of our comedy nominees and also screenplay, perhaps. It's a film by Christopher Borgley, and he's a Scandinavian, and he wrote and directed and edited this. And the premise is so interesting. It's really offbeat. This professor of biology, family man, two daughters, he starts appearing in people's dreams. And he's teaching class, and they're all like, you're in my you dream you know you're mm -hmm. in my dream so he becomes a viral sensation this movie is all about social media and cancel culture and how somebody gets so big so fast and we chew them up and spit them out uh so he's the toast of the town all he wants is to get his book published 
about ants. And um, he goes to a PR firm headed by Michael Sarah. Okay. Hilarious. It's a 20-somethings agency and is called Thoughts. The PR agency is Thoughts with a question mark. And uh, so they plan his media campaign. Hilarious. And so then all of a sudden, the dreams turn to bad dreams uh -oh. and nightmares. And Tim Meadows is his boss at the college. And they're having problems because the students quit coming to class because he's terrifying them in their dreams, like Freddy, you know, ah. uh, Freddy Krueger. And uh, so it's how the highs and lows of media attention. And it's very fascinating. I don't know if they necessarily stick the landing, but David Burns' big suit from Talking Heads has something to do with the movie. It's huh. very inventive. It's very inventive. And you should make time for it. It's not that long. Okay. Yeah. And then what else came out last uh, week that we didn't talk about? This week, The Boy and the Heron, speaking of Studio Ghibli. Studio G GK Kids. It's Ghibli beautiful. Kids. It's a beautiful film. And um, please announce the director's name because I'm going to screw it up. Well, Easy. see, here, here's the here's the thing. I did not get to see it. They didn't send it to us. They just gave us passes for us to go see it at a theater because I guess they want us to see it at a theater. It's a beautiful movie, and I was fortunate to see it in its highest. Hayazaki. Yeah. Miyazaki. Miyazaki. I always get yes. this right. And he is a master. He hasn't he done. Is, he hasn't done a film in ten years. I know, but he is responsible for Japanese anime being what it is today. And he has won the Academy Award for Spirited Away, but he has also done many deserving films. The Wind Rises, Howl's Moving Castle, is it? Yes. My Neighbor Totoro? Tot Totoro. Totoro. My neighbor, uh, Porco Rosso, which has Michael Keaton doing the English dub, uh, Princess Princess Mononoke, um, Ponyo. He did the original Ponyo, which is based on The Little Mermaid. And Kiki's Delivery Service, which my wife loves, and then the sequel uh, that he did not do. Well, this one is about life and death. That's a f favorite theme of his. And uh, it, and he often sets things in wartime. So it's uh, World War II and his mother dies and his father uh, moves them because he's going to marry her sister. No, oh, he's going to marry his sister? No, his uh, his wife's sister. Oh, okay. Okay, and, weird. And it's... Did, uh, did his wife pass away, I hope? Yes. Okay, his, that makes yeah. all right. That makes much more sense now. Yes, his wife passed away, and he's going to marry her sister, and so they move. He has to move the little boy, and the little boy is having a tough time dealing with his mom's death, and he goes um, into a new world, which, as you know, we're going to have 
animals and we have birds. We have a heron. We have parakeets. There's a lot of parakeets in this movie. The If you see it in English, it's got a fantastic English cast. It is Christian Bale, Dave Bautista. Uh, oh, gosh. Mark Hamill. Yes. And Florence Robert Pugh. Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. So it's a huge English Chan. I Willem saw Defoe. Yes, I saw it in I uh, subtitles, and the music is beautiful. But the, I'm not allowed to watch subs. I'm only allowed to watch dubs. Mm. My 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 child wants to see it in the original Japanese, even though well, they're fantastic voice cast in English. I think you meant subs, not dubs. Yes. Did I say that? I said, yeah. no, I'm supposed to watch subs, not dubs. Because not, I was like, yeah. wait, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. So it's very beautiful. And I wouldn't be surprised if it wins the Oscar. Because even though everybody's talking about the Spider-Man movie, the Spider-Man's movie had issues with the plot. And it was too busy. And it's the middle film. It's It ends. It's a, it's a cliffhanger. So it's waiting I think, for part three. And this is so gentle and beautiful and it let unfolds and it's uh it's very spiritual film. And I like the quietness of it. And I like the little boy's adventure. And it's a little more than two hours. Does it feel like it? No, no, it's lyrical. It's very beautiful. It's very beautiful. It it, it takes you along to the into the story. It's hypnotic. Let's put it like that. It's hypnotic. Another uh, film that I did watch uh, because it's coming out Thursday, December 7th for five days, Waitress, the musical. This yes. is a live capture of the Broadway show. And this was taken during when a Broadway reopened again and they had a special limited engage engagement with a lot of the, real, um, the um, original cast. And Sarah Bareilles played Jenna, the waitress. Who wrote, she wrote the whole thing. Right. And uh, it made history on Broadway, uh, Waitress, because the top four women were, uh, the top four people were women. The composer, lyricist, book writer, choreographer, and director were all women. And uh, that's why it's the favorite. But I had seen it at the the national tour at the Fox in 2019, and I enjoyed yep. it. I was surprised how funny it was. It's based on the 2007 indie movie with Carrie Russell and Andy Griffith. And, yes. And um, the musical is surprising in many ways, and it's so funny. And they have a rich, all the people that work at the diner, and you know, good characters. So this is a this is wonderful. If you love Broadway musicals, this is a nice one to see. And it's coming to the Muni next summer. So this this refreshed me in in remembering the play. And then I was thinking about how the Muni's going to stage it, and it's good. And interesting. Speaking of the Muni, one of the characters in the the play in the musical movie is Anastasia McCluskey, and she was. Uh, Seely in Color Purple last year at the Muni, and she was in Rent this year, and she plays Doctor Pometer's receptionist or our aide, or she right. works in the doctor's office. When that, but the pie, you just want to have a piece of pie. 
I asked Mike Isaacson when we were when we were talking to him after the announcement of the season, like, you're going to have pie? Because they yeah. did it at Broadway. They had pie. Right. So get on it, Muni. Once and once the Independent Spirit Awards came out today. I saw that. And uh, anything uh, that uh, Bob's your cork? Well, uh, American Fiction, May, December, and Past Lives led the nominations. So, I know. And Glenn Howerton of BlackBerry. I've told you and Max to watch BlackBerry. And um, I, I think, yeah, he's good. I did watch... Um, I don't think I can talk about him yet, but I did watch Ferrari and I did watch Wonka and I did. Uh, oh, what else did I see? You know, we're all blend. They're all blending now. I did love American fiction. Yes, they are. I just don't know. Don't you? The, the pile keeps getting bigger now because this guy has been nominated from passages. Now we have a link to passages. And I'm just like, oh, my God, how many you're more? getting overwhelmed? Well, Lynn, since you're getting overwhelmed and we've talked more than an hour, let's say goodbye and tell everyone where we can meet each other. You right, can meet but... me on uh, KMOX and 97.1. I'm on seven days a week. Just tune in. You'll hear me. And you can hear me on uh, Instagram, threads, Twitter, X, and that's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Instagram threads. Twitter. Yeah, that's all that I'm doing hockey stuff at underscore Carl the intern. And I'm at the theater pretty much every night. I was there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'm going back this week for two. So you can see me at a local venue or you can tune <laughs> in to KTRS uh, on Fridays at 11 a.m. And I'm going to talk about Maestro this week because it is now officially out in St. Louis. And uh, so you can hear me talk about all of that. And I would rec highly recommend it for, I think, uh, Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan give their career best performances. And I and that's saying something. And I think the film is beautifully shot. I have some issues with the screenplay, but I'm not going to let that get in the way of people's enjoying Leonard Bernstein's music is a national treasure and also geniuses are complicated. And that is, <laughs> and that basically is the, the movie because geniuses are complicated, but that music stands the test of time. It is so gorgeous. And the scene uh, there, you will love the scene from the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade, Carl, since you've been part of that, but the, the, the scene in the Eli cathedral where Bernstein is directing Mahler's second symphony is one of the great captures with the London Symphony. It's just so magical and beautiful. And uh, I can't wait for people to see it. Okay, so then I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times and I'm also poplifestl.com where you can find my reviews this week of Barrymore with John Contini at St. Louis Actors Studio, Into the Woods, a very magical interpretation that is at New Jewish Theater. Jesus and Johnny Appleweed's Holy Rolling Christmas, which is like John Waters meets Charles Bush satire of the mid-century 50s. And uh, the uh, housewife uh, cooks with uh, the medicinal herb in a 50s okay. style house. 
and it's a musical, original musical by Scott Miller. And there's an interesting play at West End Players Guild at the Union Avenue Christian Church called Walter Cronkite is Dead. Two accomplished veteran actresses meet each other at an airport and they go to town, Leslie Wobby and Kate Durbin. And it's very interesting. It's a conservative and a liberal, but they don't change each other's minds. They just listen. They learn to listen to each other. And isn't that a good theme, Carl? Listening is good. Yeah. All right, everybody. Yeah. Everybody, enjoy your holiday season. Go to Amazon.com and order Ageless Glamour Girls, and it'll be delightful to have connection and community with a bunch of women over 50. All right, Lynn, thank you. Congratulations on your new book. Bye, everybody.